every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Melton Littlepage, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Tenable. Melton has more than 15 years of marketing experience, including as Vice President of Global Marketing for SAP Concur and CMO of Schoology. Melton is responsible for driving Demand Gen for Tenable's cybersecurity solutions that are used by more than 30,000 organizations worldwide, including more than half of the Fortune 500. On this episode, Melton breaks down his keys to solution-based marketing, how to truly understand the problems your customers face, and how to make your brand synonymous with the solutions they need. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Melton Littlepage, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Tenable, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of Demand Gen Visionaries, and we are joined by special guest, Melton, what's going on? Hey, man. How you doing? It's great to have you on the show, and we are excited to talk about everything going on at Tenable and your background. So first, how did you get into Demand Gen? You know, I really backed into Demand Gen from the product side. I was the chief solution officer, so chief product officer at a, uh, a small growth company that was acquired uh, back in the day by Concur and, uh, and brought on board to help them penetrate the SMB market. At the time, Concur was an enterprise software company that was really going after the, the largest organizations in the market. Uh, I think everybody knows Concur well uh, for its expense reporting business. We needed to enter the SMB market, but we knew that that would take a different product and a, a different go-to-market approach. And so I was tapped to uh, help lead that with a former head of sales from Concur. We, we were a, a tight team and, uh, and we developed a product that was pretty novel uh, in the era. This is, this is back a decade, uh, but it was one of the first free trial to buy pure uh, multi-tenant, pure SaaS products in the B2B finance space. So we, we delivered a, a pretty great experience, mobile, click a button on the website, get into it. And, and we sat back and uh, we waited for the business to arrive and to, to count the revenues. And, uh, and it actually really got off to a slow start. As we got into it, we uh, really began to understand that our website and our reach into the market was really oriented around an enterprise buyer that was already into a sales conversation with our account team that had been calling on them. And so we were, we were servicing a, a mid-funnel, mid-sales cycle need. And we didn't have uh, a way to reach out into the SMB market where we were less well-known. And, uh, and we didn't have a, a vehicle to really get to our buyer and open their eyes. So at the time, like everybody was doing expense reports on uh, Excel spreadsheets for free and stapling receipts to them. We needed to convince them to spend money uh, on a software to do that for them and, and describe that that was going to be a, a really high return on their investment. And so I jumped into a marketing role 
not uh, on purpose, but it was really just a way to get the product all the way out to the buyer. And so we worked really hard to like crank up digital advertising and create a transformer website from a kind of a, a static area that, that as much served investor relations and recruiting as it did the buyer to creating a full digital experience in the website where you could understand the value, but you could also see how companies like you had come through before and had seen success in automating expense reporting and the benefit to the company as well as the employees. And, you know, and really the ultimate payoff was just getting people reimbursed faster and taking some of the friction out of the employer-employee relationship. So I, I backed into demand generation through just trying to reach the buyer and, uh, and was really fortunate to have strong support and mentors back in the day to learn the nuances of search engine optimization and targeted SEM to put together a global campaign and go out and, and reach people across channels like radio like taking over major events, doing experiential marketing. We even sponsored a professional golfer and that relationship worked out great. And so I think a, a lot of us were going through this at the same time, but it was, it was figuring it out uh, as we went, building marketing automation, building the tech stack to manage a demand funnel and understand how to qualify a lead and route those leads into an SDR team. And, and figuring out how to merchandise a free trial and get people to convert. Like that was like today, I think you take it for granted that is sort of just the sort of the golden motion through B2B if you're a startup or mid-sized SaaS company. Uh, but back at the time, like there, were, there was no roadmap. We were, uh, we were all figuring out together pretty much at the same time. So flash forward to today, what does it mean to be a VP of marketing at Tenable? Being a VP of marketing is like being the VP of helping the customer solve a problem. Uh, we have a lot of internal processes and, and KPIs and metrics, and we have goals and alignment with sales and all that's really important. But our job is really to understand our buyer and understand what they're up against. Like we sell uh, cybersecurity software and our customers out there, like every company on the planet has security vulnerabilities and no company can patch all theirs up. It's just not possible. So we help companies understand, like, where are we exposed? And based on that, where should we prioritize our efforts to manage down our risk to the greatest degree we can? And, uh, and then are we, is it working? Like, are we reducing our cyber exposure over time? Like, that's, that's what we do. And it is no uh, easy thing to be a cybersecurity professional today. The attack surface is just expanding like crazy with cloud computing with the Internet of Things, with uh, operational technology like robotic uh, manufacturing, with all of that coming together, it's a really hard job. And, uh, and like uh, everybody else, people in IT security are wearing a bunch of different hats and they're chasing their daily, weekly, and monthly objectives. And it's hard to be strategic and it's hard to solve complex problems when you're on the treadmill just working your ass off every day. We, as marketing, we help this buyer really understand how to manage through their problems, how to really grab hold of, of modernization and transformation and make it real for them so that they can see in my environment with what I'm up against today, there is a solution that can take a lot of pain and a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of time out of my job and allow me to do a better job as the individual, allow the company to be more successful or in our case, have a lower uh, degree of cyber exposure and risk to cyber attacks. 
And, uh, and that's a really worthwhile goal. So we start with the buyer and the problems they have in their day-to-day world. And we try to reach them. We try to uh, help them understand that there is a, a better way to do what we do. And then to hold their hand through the process of learning how it could apply in their organization, what the potential benefit is. And then in an ideal world, you know, start a conversation with them. If we can do that, we've succeeded in our role as marketing. If we can't do that, then all the KPIs, processes, tech, it just doesn't matter. So that's how, that's how I view my role in the, the ecosystem. So our first segment here is called the trust tree. And the trust tree is a place where we're going to go, we're going to feel honest, we're going to feel trusted. We're going to share some of our deepest, darkest uh, demand gen secrets. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? Specifically with regards to Tenable and building this demand gen machine, I'm curious, like, how do you approach your demand gen strategy? Like, how do you look at organizing what is important to you in terms of, you know, function, process, people, things like that? So it's a great question. It's something that we challenge ourselves with all the time because we are constantly trying to move the needle in terms of our impact in the organization. You know, we've built a demand gen organization that is dedicated to reaching our target persona and changing their mind. That is it in a nutshell. So it starts with understanding who our target persona are and what they do, what they look like, how they perceive the current world, their situation, the company's security posture. And then we, we map into that what we need them to believe. What is the new perception we need them to have that is the precondition to having a meaningful conversation and there's always a gap, like from the from what they believe today to what we need them to believe tomorrow. That gap can, in some cases, be massively wide. And so that informs us about how we need to educate them. We need to influence them either directly, and we can reach them directly or influence them directly through conversations or person-to-person events, or how we bring in partners or other influencers in the market. But we need to bring them along the journey to get them from A to B, from the old perception to the new perception. And once we get them to the new perception, we need to give them a reason to have a conversation with us. And so we built our demand gen organization around that goal. So we, it starts for us with solution marketing. Solution marketing really helps us deliver the message. We, we start with the problem that they face in ways to solve that problem. And we deliver that message across as many channels as we can. But the the message is what really matters here. So uh, solutions marketing for us is where we create the message uh, strategy for the solution, the content bill of materials, and we map the content across the stages of the buyer's journey to say, okay, how do we get someone from their starting perception and nudge them forward? And then how do we carry them into the next stage of the journey and the next stage and ultimately bring them through an experience where they the light comes on that they have a problem that is solvable. Other people before them have solved that problem and have really benefited from it, that the solution would work in their environment. And that it was actually fairly easy and low risk to get from A to B to implement the solution. So from solution marketing, they, they really quarterback the go-to-market motion. And the second team in our demand gen organization is digital marketing. They're responsible for optimizing our paid channels. So paid social advertising, display advertising, content syndication, search engine marketing are the primary functions. But digital marketing is really expert in 
knowing where our persona is, the digital watering holes where we can reach them. Sometimes we need to be proactive. Like we, we have two missions, right? We need to tell our story to the market. And then when the market is searching for an answer to a problem, we need to be there with the answer. And so our, our digital marketing is arrayed that way so that we can take the messages from our solutions and solution marketing and the content, and we can inject it into the daily life of our buyer so that they wake up in the morning, they look at LinkedIn, and they see uh, something from Tenable that is like it piques their interest or it is alluding to a problem that they're about to face when they get in the car to go to work. When they get to work, if they are on uh, dark reading or Krebs or one of the, the sources of truth that they go to to stay on top of the market, they see our uh, display advertisements, which again is a reminder of the solutions that we offer, the problems that we solve. They may be uh, invited to a live roundtable or a experience with one of our thought leaders or our chief security information officer. At the end of the day, uh, they may get outreach uh, from us or even have one of the people on their staff that has seen some of our content that is running in uh, our content syndication program. But we're, we're trying to reach them across multiple touch points with some continuity of message and some consistency so the brand is present. And, uh, and we really turn to digital marketing for that, uh, as well as in our paid search marketing we want to be there when they're searching for answers to problems that we can solve. We want to be first. We want to be prominent. And we want to be relevant. And again, bring them into the conversation. The next group for us is our inbound marketing team, which we combine inbound marketing and marketing operations together. That's our web strategy and website team, search engine optimization, our inbound lead capture tech stack, which for us is website chat, lead scoring and routing through Marketo, and our intent-based uh, account-based marketing tool sets. And here we're we're trying to catch the organic search, but also the destination. Once people are seeing the brand and there is familiarity and repetition, and they're actually interested in learning more about the solutions that we offer, the products that we have, we want to have a great buyer's journey where you can immediately find what you're looking for, understand the relevance to your business, go beyond just product features and specs, but really understand the from a thought leadership level, how to be a better practitioner and strive for mastery uh, in what we offer, which are a you know, set of cybersecurity disciplines and the tools that enable that. We really try to just have great buyer experiences on our website that can start from, do I have a problem? What is your solution? But it can get very detailed down to, in our use case, how to comply with uh, very strict compliance regulations you know, in, in different theaters around the world. The next group in our team is our account-based marketing and field and channel marketing group, which we have combined together and we operate that on a theater basis. So these combined ABM field and channel marketing groups exist for us in North America, EMEA, Asia Pacific, uh, Latin America, and in the public sector. And they're really responsible for developing our theater level dimension plans and executing them using ABM as a primary tactic live events and now uh, virtual events for sure, and, uh, and joint go-to-market uh, programs with our key channel partners. Uh, we are very channel-friendly. We're a channel-first business. And so uh, a lot of the programs that we run direct to market via account-based marketing or sales plays that we run out through our demand gen operations will also run uh, straight through our channel partners as well. And then the last group in our organization is our sales development team. Uh, and we do have SDR teams in each of our theaters. 
they report to sales at Tenable, but they operate as a as an extended part of the demand gen organization. And our relationship and our interlock with uh, sales development is so essential to our work. That's a team that is dedicated to working our NQLs. They are right there conducting the live chats with our prospect on our website. They are uh, first responders to intense signals that we surface up through account-based marketing. And you know, really, we couldn't hit our goals or, or generate our impact to the business without them. So we operate in close sync on everything from the tech stack and the adoption of modern tools to jointly running sales plays to you know, really tight coordinated execution of our integrated campaigns or trade shows or other digital marketing programs. That's so interesting that kind of the way that you've combined some of those teams, um, what was the what was the kind of thought process behind? I mean, you, you painted a pretty clear picture of like how those are are integrated, but you know, combined versus not combined seems like, you know, maybe there's less mid-level managers that are involved in that? Like, what was the reasoning between, you know, combining some of those teams? Yeah, I think that the the area where we've really pushed the envelope is in combining account-based marketing into field and channel marketing. And what we're really striving for here is to redefine the role of field and channel marketing to go from a a traditional events-centric field marketing role, for instance, to an account-based field marketing role or, you know, ABM in the field. ABM is a buzzword that is is tossed around extensively. And uh, it means a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. But for us, the reason we combine ABM into our field and channel marketing is because when we're talking about target accounts, we're talking about the sellers that own those target accounts. And we're we're talking about relationships and we're talking about making progress in complex, big, important accounts. We're not talking about individual people or individual leads or, or something that you can you know, reduce to a nuclear level and pass through a lead scoring and routing system to an SDR. And so when you're talking about accounts and when you're, when you're talking about the moving relationships along, like generating engagement, having brand reach and uh, recognition and recall and raising awareness across a diverse buying team and then influencing decisions that are happening throughout the journey of a sales cycle, which could be, you know, three months, six months, nine months or longer, that requires really close coordination with the sales field. And so for us to be able to run a sales play, whether that is a, a new logo demand generation sales play, or whether that's a cross sell play to uh, reach our customers uh, and make them aware of uh, new products or products that they don't already have out of our platform to be able to do that in concert with, with the sales rep and the customer success rep, which is also supporting the account, as well as the channel manager, which may, you know, if, it, if the account came to us through the channel, they may be a part of it. And even the SDR, if it's a new logo, to have that level of coordination, we needed to get out of, out of the global marketing. I put my finger quotes up. We need to get out of the global marketing mindset and actually get out and do our job in the field. And that's why we have the teams located in the theaters and, um, and we have proximity to the selling team is the paramount decider in the organization strategy. We can help a field marketing team or a channel marketing team in the field learn, adopt, uh, implement, and successfully deliver account-based marketing tactics a lot easier than we can teach a global marketing ABM team the nuances of the relationships with over 200 sellers out in the field in five theaters and in every time zone on the planet. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely fascinating um, and speaks to the relationship that you have with those sales leaders and those sales reps to help them sell in the best way and meeting them where they are rather than the alternative. And I think it, you're, you're exactly right that it feeds to a depth of engagement with those buyers in a way that is much different which is so important for those ABM accounts, right? Like you need to have a deep, and especially in cybersecurity, I should add, where it's like, this is extremely volatile and a different type of buying profile than perhaps other products. Yeah, I think trust really comes into play. And trust is is earned. I think everybody is suspicious of salespeople and promises uh, from software companies just naturally. Uh, but you get into the cybersecurity space where the stakes are just very, very high. It amplifies all of that. And so it's really important for our teams to be able to build real relationships, like real high trust, uh, collaborative relationships with the seller. And that is a precondition for us to get deals done. Like It, it just won't happen any other way. And that's why, uh, you know, as I said earlier, we really focus on being helpful. The best way to build trust between us and our customers and our prospects is to really help them be great at their jobs. That's the bottom line. And people are, are you know, especially uh, accounts that we're targeting that will be a new logo for us. They're not looking to buy a product uh, and they have some solution today. Like no, nobody is out there without a cybersecurity solution. But what they do have are problems. Like there uh, is something in their organization or in their tech stack or in their uh, processes or their implementation that is leaving them vulnerable in ways that are not comfortable for that business. And so they're not looking to buy a product. They're looking to solve a problem. So we need to jump in there and help them solve the problem. Like that's how they're going to end up buying the product. It doesn't come the other way around. We know that we're dealing with people and that people, and it's usually several people uh, on the, the purchasing process for our organization, they aspire to be successful in their role. Like, like Security is an area that attracts high achievers and people that want to do more. And so they want to move up and they want to have a success on their resume. They can't afford to have a failed IT project that is hanging over their head. And, uh, and so... In addition to solving the problem, they really need to believe that it can be successful in their organization. They need to know that organizations like themselves have solved the problem. They need to believe that the product capabilities are really real, that they're not just demoware. And they need to believe that we're going to be there for them for years in a high value, very low heartburn, low stress relationship. And so, like I said, while, while we do have a traditional product marketing team uh, and they are fantastic and they are absolutely essential to our business, we've added to that, augmented that with a solution marketing team that helps our customers assemble our products into real applicable solutions that fit in their organization. And so we, we focus on specific use cases and we really tell a story about how our products working together can absolutely help customers knock down the barriers that they've had or improve the processes or, or meet all of the technical needs in their organization. And then we, we deliver that to them, no strings attached. And often cases, they could go assemble other products, competitor products to accomplish the same solution, uh, which would be fine. Like we don't prefer that, but we're, we would be happy if they were making progress and being a better security team 
we just hope that with uh, what they've seen uh, and what our track record is and the, uh, the relationship that we developed, that they will choose tenable products to make it happen for them and start the conversation. So that's, that's really the way we think about it. And that persona and those accounts, is that like, you know, all the way up to the CISO or CIO level and then within the security team? Or how does that, what does that persona buying kind of party look like? We do sell to the security officers team. You know, CISOs have enormous spans of control and a lot of, a lot of technology supports them. And so they don't often make individual product purchase decisions. And so they do delegate that and approve, review and approve the ultimate decision. So uh, in addition to winning the trust of the CISO, we, there are day-to-day people on the CISO's team that will be using our product on a daily basis. They, they will live inside of it. And so we track multiple persona. We try to be very helpful to practitioners. We have a very active tenable blog which goes into great detail on current vulnerabilities, best practices and approaches to knocking out current threats. We also have a blog in Medium, which is a research blog. We have a a massive research organization uh, and our researchers are out looking for zero day vulnerabilities. They're out like really breaking down and tearing apart the most commonly used products all the way to the obscure products and, and figuring out how the bad guys would exploit those products to get into networks or to wreak havoc in an organization. And so our, our research blog is also is very technical. You'd have to be a practitioner to appreciate it. Uh, but we, uh, we try to provide those tools and resources and develop a relationship through delivering value to the practitioner. And then for the decision maker, the, uh, there's a lot of data required for CISOs and security directors and VPs to really understand where they should deploy their teams. There's, there's way more to do than they'll ever have the people or budget to do. And so their decisions on a daily basis are not, do we fix it or not fix it? It's nowhere near that binary. It's really you know, how much effort do we put against this and how far can that get us in lowering our risk? And they weigh one area against another. And so we surface a lot of data that helps these security leaders prioritize the work they're doing and prioritize in the context of risk. How far can we go uh, in lowering our risk based on these actions here versus other actions that we can take? And it's really uh, just a, it's a great tool for them to, to lead an organization that you know, is never, isn't designed or expected to ever eliminate risk their whole job is balancing. And so we give them the data and the insights and the visibility they need to know where to apply their actions. And then we help them measure over time, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? The number of vulnerabilities always piles up. Um, The threat actors are often, you know, escalating their activity. And as organizations expand uh, the number of devices, now they've sent millions of people to work from home, which creates, you know, an entirely new set of attack vectors there's massive adoption of IoT. There are so many ways where the attack surface is expanding with cloud applications and cloud infrastructure. And so we, we really help organizations measure like the, the rate at which the risk in their business is being managed because the attack surface is increasing and the number of vulnerabilities is increasing. They are working to patch and manage all of that. And it's a daily tug of war. Uh, and if you're the CISO, you need to go to the board and report. Like, here's here's where we stand. It's either it's gotten better, it's gotten worse, and uh, and those are tough calls to make. So we try to inform as much as we can through uh, data 
analytics that tie together the assets and infrastructure in the business with what the threat actors are doing out in the wild and what we know about the vulnerabilities that that company has compared to where uh, vulnerabilities are actively being exploited and try to synthesize that and bring it to them. So that's the way to win, you know, or at least add value uh, in the, the CISO management team and then support the practitioners as they actually do the really hard work to sort things out. Well, and you mentioned at in your time at Concur, um, and you mentioned earlier specifically with Tenable about the importance of the website and these digital properties. And I know you all are using things like uh, conversational marketing that you can actually, when people are making these buying decisions or, or looking at the website, like that there's a lot more information there. Why did you have that realization at, at Concur and, and now at Tenable that it's like, uh, why is the website so valuable? Yeah, I think the I think the website is underrated. We all know the trope that sixty five or sixty eight percent of the buyer's journey happens anonymously before the company ever wakes up to it, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so we we get that the website is valuable. Yet most organizations really reflect their a product uh, price list into their website. Their website, you know, resembles their pricing catalog or the SKUs or the products that are inventoried. That doesn't create long-term enduring value. It's just a great way to explain what you do to the market. Uh, I think differently about the website. I, I think that if you create enduring value, if, if there is harvestable content uh, that is sitting out there that can help people become better professionals today, and they know that when they're leaving, they can come back and they can continue to enrich themselves and go on their own personal journey towards mastery, as well as helping the, their company envision how to execute their security strategy in our case, but execute their strategy and improve their effectiveness. Like if, if it's a bottomless well of that value, then your website earns a lot of repeat traffic and it earns loyalty. Like people will trust your blog and they will, they will follow it. People will come back to your website because they know there's more in there and they'll even point their coworkers to it. And so we, we really try to build these journeys through our website that go beyond you know, answering an immediate question about what a product capability is and really trying to enrich the buyer and help them, help them personally as well as help their organization improve their effectiveness. As we do that, we've learned a few things you know, I, I think are, are pretty invaluable. You, you would not be able to drag them out of, out of our organization easily. The first is Sometimes people have problems and they, they don't know how to describe the problem and they're, they're not 100% sure what they're looking for. And so having the conversational marketing like chat on the website has been an essential tool for us. It earns a tremendously high daily engagement and the conversations we're having with people where we can point them in the right direction or help them understand what they're facing and, and how we can help them uh, has turned out to be great. I expected it to be a lead capture tool, sort of an alternative to a uh, a form on a gated piece of content. Like a lot of people are, they're pretty resistant these days to putting in their first name, last name, company size, state they live in, phone number, and a bunch of other required fields. But they are okay anonymously chatting. So we thought it would be a, a better replacement for those forms and that we could ungate content and we could still build engagement. And while that is absolutely proven to be true, even more than that, we found that we can have really meaningful conversations with our customers and, and get them pointed in the right direction. 
and help them through this journey. And, and then they'll come back and they'll come back. And eventually, you know, if they want to talk to us, uh, they know where they can reach us. And we're able to get into a two-way dialogue, you know, in person or, or virtually these days. But that is really important. And then the second trend that is really important to us is pulling some intelligence off of the website and providing that to the sales organization. We use demand base uh, and we have enabled our sellers to receive some limited amount of intelligence when accounts that are in their target account list are active, uh, engaging with our content, we notify them and we tell them what content the uh, account is engaging in uh, and when it occurred and what level of intensity and how many different people. We can't tell them the specific person, which you know I think would be ideal for the seller and really creepy for the customers. But we can just tell them in general, you know, you know, several people at this account have recently engaged with this content. It allows the seller to take that intelligence and form a strategy for how to reach out to that account, ask questions about the problems they're facing or the uh, challenges they're up against, and really find out where we can be a, a part of solving the problem earlier and, uh, and more effectively than we have in the past. And so... Obviously, the website you know, houses our free trials uh, and free trial evaluations are an indispensable tool to any B2B company. For us, we also have a free security tool that is downloaded in probably the most highly trafficked web page on our website. And so having those resources there for the community are important. Having the conversational element so someone can get an answer if they're looking for it, that's important. Providing intelligence to the sellers, that's important. The, the website needs to serve all of those functions and be optimized to do it. Let's go to our digital playbook here. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. So this is our segment where we open up your playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win, specifically the three uncuttable budget items, the three uncuttable tactics what are those three things that you're like, if we had to cut everything else, these three are going to stay no matter what? Yeah, a piece of cake on that. So the digital buyer experience on the website, absolutely not cuttable. Uh, and, and it needs to be invested in, invested for search engine optimization so that we are synonymous with the problems that we solve and, uh, and the, the solutions and the category we're in. We also invest a lot in conversion rate optimization. It's little things that you you iron out in the buyer's journey that make a big difference between someone not getting it and dropping out or getting it and, and staying with it. And so that's number one for sure. The website, SEO, conversion rate optimization, 100%. The second are our free trials. You know, In the, the SaaS world, free uh, hands-on exposure to our tools and, and having a customer, you know, earn value before they've ever paid for it, gone through the pain of a contract or received an invoice, that is, that's really essential. And, and free trials for us, we try to make as close to a, a POC as we can. We try to support them through, you know, live opportunities to talk with our engineers uh, to make sure that, you know, we're fully up and configured. We offer to nurture people along the way and coach and develop them. And, and the more that you know, any organization can coach someone through a free trial versus just turn them loose and hope that they get it, it, it makes all the difference. Because the point of the trial is not to prove that you can create a login. The, the point of the trial is to 
demonstrate that you can solve the problem or that you have the potential to solve the problem in a way that will work in the customer's environment. So that is absolutely essential. And then search engine marketing, if, if I had to cut my budget all the way back to the bone, the last thing I would cut would be search engine marketing. Search engine marketing is offensive and defensive. It allows us to put our brand in the context that we want our brand to be seen in and on the pulse of what people are doing and searching for on a day in and day out basis. It is a competitive tool. It allows us to tell our story and it forces us to tell our story in very few words in a very compelling way. And it allows us to capture interest in the market. So if someone is doing a search on a a problem or a need, we can be there and we can guide them into our buyer experience. If someone is searching, doing a more general search, then we can be there and tell our brand story uh, and out position our competition. And it matters. People like turn to search uh, more than they turn to any other source. And so those are the tried and true tactics. If, if there was you know, more room, uh, I would... I'll give you some more room. You can go for it. Yeah. So if there's more room, I think being really relevant, having really relevant content visible in third-party sites is really important. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I think that a lot of organizations don't do it well. But when you do it well, you can really draw a lot of attention to how you how you affect the lives, in our case, how you improve the security of organizations, you can draw engagement. Like in, it, It's trusted engagement and, and people feel like they're in control as they go through the experience. But I think that in terms of reaching a target buyer and telling your story your way and then drawing people into a conversation, that's a, a fantastic tool to have in the arsenal. I, I think that LinkedIn had so many similarities in, in our mindset to Facebook uh, or to Twitter or whatever it is that we just like as marketers just collectively are like, oh, that's just, you know, it's another place to buy ads. And it's like completely the opposite, just like Twitter is like, it's it's actually a place to have conversations. It's not a place to to just purely buy ads or, or whatever it is. And it's just kind of funny that all these like, you know, quote unquote, social networks came out and we kind of just said, you know, well, these are all nails since we have a big hammer uh, and we buy ads. So let's just use them the same. I think that's so true. And LinkedIn is just such an underrated opportunity. And then especially with how much user-generated content is on there now and so much of that is just really bad stuff. Like there's so much, especially like cybersecurity, you want to talk about a place where there's just tons of bad content out there that is created by by users who don't necessarily have any credentials to be doing that. Like you can separate your stuff if you focus on really high quality work. Uh, and it's interesting that you bring up LinkedIn as as a favorable way of doing that. Yeah, I agree. And it's an easy one to get wrong. Like their messaging is a tricky thing. An ineffective LinkedIn ad is a really expensive problem. A really effective LinkedIn ad that earns engagement because you have to earn it. You can't bully somebody into it. If you earn it, it's really worthwhile. You know, a quick side note to that. So we've promoted our podcasts on LinkedIn and it's still just so expensive because you know a lot of our podcasts are for senior leaders. But the thing is that's brilliant about really high quality content like podcasts or things like that is that when people come across it, they're actually engaged because they're like, hey, this is great. I'm I'm interested in this thing. And it's not, oh hey, I'm not being, you know, shoved another product down my throat on LinkedIn or on whatever platform du jour. Like this is actually interesting. And it's funny to see how the engagement rates skyrocket. Like skyrocket when it's not just pushing a a product or service in that way. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about 
one of your favorite campaigns or best campaigns. Do you have a favorite one? Yeah, my favorite campaign uh, for us has been our free trial of our platform. When you have the right product fit to market, it's not a campaign. You're, you're just getting the word out. And so we have had great luck in telling our story and, and pulling people into the try it now or don't believe us, you know, join us. And you just, you go fight into problem solving a conversation with the customer. And before you know it, that free trial has become, you know, an, an engaging sort of interactive problem solving, brainstorming, how would this work in my organization? And it leads right into a, a decision. Now, maybe the decision isn't, you know, to, to go with Tenable. That's fine. If we got that far in in the organization and seeing what was possible, uh, you know we'll we'll take our chances. We're gonna we're gonna win that more often than we lose it. The um, worst campaign ever. Yeah, you know, there was there's one that that I, I actually am, am not very proud of. Back in a past life, when I was a CMO of a, a smaller growth company, our CEO felt that we we just weren't being clear enough with our prospects that we would offer them a a free personal demo of our product hosted by a sales engineer on a one-on-one basis, which I think everyone knows that's not a very novel offer. You fill out your name in a, in any gated asset and and you'll, you'll get that offer. Uh, Yeah. That's not, that's always free. (laughs) I don't think that's always free. (laughs) Um, But he was adamant. And so we nailed our entire prospect database with a, uh, a very artful HTML template, Blast uh, offering your uh, at no cost to you a free personal demo from a sales engineer, as you expected, completely failed. Not only did we not get any demonstration requests, our unsubscribe rate just went through the roof. It was probably the most single most expensive email that I have uh, I've ever sent. Man, so, that's a good one. Yeah, it was it, it was hard, but you know, again. We didn't always know how to do this. I, th- I think organizations today, now that they've had five or seven or eight years of what we would call demand generation under their belt, they would know not to do that. I think that there were some hard-won lessons along the way. And for me, that was certainly one of them. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Okay, let's get into the dust-up. This is our segment where we talk about healthy tension, whether it was with uh, maybe a board member, someone on your sales team, uh, a competitor, a boss. Do you have any uh, famous dust-ups in your background? Oh, well, no, other than um, that uh, awesome learning experience with my uh, past CEO, I would say, you know, the most conflict that we have is really with ourselves. And, uh, and we reflect that into the sales organization. I think like most demand gen teams, we try to partner incredibly closely with the sales group and, and we try to tee them up and simplify the work that is on their plate by creating sales plays, by providing them a lot of intelligence that they can act on for target accounts, actually helping them create target account lists and uh, and then run ABM programs and advertising into those target accounts for them, uh, set up executive meetings for them at trade shows so that they can meet with their customers and partners that matter the most. And the list goes on and on. But, but you know, when you add it up, that's 10, 11, 12 things that we're trying to do. And especially if we're trying to run multiple different sales plays at the same time, we actually can scramble their brains 
by having too much going on, we uh, we create churn in the system. We create kind of a muddling of the message with uh, our seller. Like they they have so many words in their mouth that it's hard for them to to really faithfully go to market with our go to market plan because we we have them going so many different directions. And so, what we are trying to do more and more every day is to edit ourselves and to create a a logical sequence to the execution of our outbound prospecting and our campaigns and, and put a umbrella of messaging around that, that that can tie together the key moment of truce in the market as well as what we're doing. If we're doing a new product launch or releasing a major new feature or if we're having a joint go-to-market program with a partner, we try to now more than ever throw a message over top of that that ties all the dots together. And then we really coach uh, and hold the hand of the sellers as uh, as they grapple with the message in all of the elements so that they can be a partner in the go-to-market, but they also have the freedom to do their thing. Like I don't think any sales rep out there thinks that they work for marketing and and we don't want to, we don't want to prescribe uh, all of the activities that go on in their day. So it's finding the right balance of, how do we accomplish all the things that we think we can? How do we make the life easier, not harder for the sellers? How do we accomplish our goals in terms of source pipeline or opportunity creation or moving engagement in target accounts? How do we do that? Uh, all And all of that funneled through you know, a single sales rep. So the conflict is on our end. No famous blowups there. We're outside of the team, but it's a hard problem for us to solve. And when you have a high-performing team and a lot of type A individuals and a lot of ideas, uh, I think that that editing and the process of choreographing the go-to-market motion is essential uh, and keeps you from blowing the company up on accident. Okay, let's get into quick hits. These are quick questions, quick answers, just like how quickly you can talk to a prospect on your site. If you use qualified.com, go to qualified.com. They're the best. Somebody's probably sitting on your site right now, a senior executive ready to buy. You're not talking to them. So check out qualified.com. We love them. And they're the exclusive sponsors of this show. Quick hits. Number one, do you have a hidden talent or passion? <laughs> Me? I am, I'm a, a big data nerd. I, I'm, I'm probably on the more boring end of the spectrum of marketers. <laughs> I, uh, I I came out of electrical engineering background. I was you know doing product management uh, as a as I backed into marketing, and so I've always approached marketing and really everything from the numbers and the systems of work. Like I think if you can design a computer motherboard, you can design a, a marketing campaign. But they you know they rival each other in complexity sometimes, and uh, and so even when I'm not working, you know my nose is in is in research and data and I have a pretty insatiable thirst that way. If I was visiting DC, well, I guess, I guess you can't say uh, next weekend, but whenever this is all, uh, whenever we can travel freely about, about the uh, cabin, where should I check out in DC? That's one of your favorite spots. One of my favorite spots was, uh, was just closed down, which was the museum. I'm a enormous fan of the international spy museum. Uh, I think that when you, you can see the evolution of innovative technology with a purpose uh, through there, starting with stuff that would fit in a diplomatic pouch and then uh, getting down to very small bugs and listening devices. And, uh, and the creativity and the imagination, the problem solving, 
of the tech companies that were making spyware uh, is just, it's so inspiring and fascinating. So uh, if I could go back in time, I, uh, I totally would have devoted my career to that. It, it's the best synthesis of, of having a, a job to do, a lot of tools, a lot of creativity, and uh, probably huge time crunches with a lot on the line. So uh, the International Spy Museum, it's a, it's a must hit. Do you have a favorite uh, book or podcast that you've uh, read or listened to recently? By far, my go-to podcast is uh, Freakonomics Radio. I think that uh, it's just exceptionally well done, uh, and it's always eye-opening. There's a lot of great uh, content out there for marketers. There's a lot of great content for security professionals, but I, I really feel like you can keep your finger on the pulse of, of the nation uh, through Freakonomics Radio. Best advice for a head of Demandgen? I think the best advice for a head of Demandgen, if I could break that past being a one-liner, uh, number one, align with sales and, and have, have a metric in common. We use pipeline as the metric in common. Uh, I organize my uh, entire Demandgen plan around uh, sourced pipeline coming from marketing into sales, but also total pipeline generated in the business. And you can see everything that is in in my plan and my accountabilities are also mirrored and are in the sales plan and the sales accountabilities. So having the interlock on a meaningful metric is super important. The second is uh, manage the website above all else. It's where you express yourself as a brand. Uh, it's where you develop your category. It's where you create community. It's where you inform the market and educate the market on the products you offer, as well as how you assemble those products into solutions that that are really important for solving real-world problems. It's, it's really the, the place where you want to send people to individually become masters of what they do, but also organizationally how to be an adopter of emerging and best practices. Uh, so I think that that's really critical. And the third is there are some really smart people out there that uh, are marketing operations leaders, they're digital marketers, they're product and solution marketers, they're campaign managers, they're field and channel marketers, and getting them to uh, work together in, in an orchestrated choreography or a workflow that makes sense organizationally is often tricky, but it's really uh, a huge payoff. So you can never invest enough in creating a racy for your entire organization, uh, map the repeatable document types, repeatable processes, repeatable meeting structures, repeatable stand-up status meetings across any type of product uh, or project. And teaching the business how to work together takes so much stress and so much friction out that it's always worth the payoff. It's never easy. But once you get a bunch of silos smashed and people that think about the team instead of their individual function as their primary organizing factor, uh, then really great things happen. So if you can do those things, align with sales, uh, obsess on the website, and build a great organization, high-performing team through races and workflows, the team will be unstoppable. Melton, this has been absolutely awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Any final uh, final thoughts? Anything to plug? A pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.